Vocalist Hillary Gardner grew up in Alaska, but somehow knew she had the soul of a New Yorker and celebrates her favorite town with her debut CD, The Great City. Hillary discussed her ongoing fascination with New York and how her varied artistic interests continue to fuel her creative drive. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. I came to New York to visit for the first time a couple of weeks before September 11th, actually. Oh, um, my to, word. To see the city, and I just fell completely in love I mean, I knew that I would from the time that I was a little girl. I read a lot of books about New York City. Um, there was a series that I really, really liked called All of a Kind Family when I was growing up. And it was about uh, a Jewish family of all these daughters living on the Lower East Side at the turn of the 20th century. And um, and I, it was my first kind of exposure to New York immigrant culture, to, to food writing. They had a lot of writing about food. Um, and Jewish holidays. And then, you know, all those years later, I moved to New York and married a, a Jewish guy who's a native New Yorker. So that sort of makes sense. <laughs> Perfect. Um, but I also read and, and loved A Tree Grows in Brooklyn. Um, so when I came to visit in my early 20s, and I, I just spent that about a week just walking around New York City. Every day I would pick a different part of the city. I'd pick a different neighborhood and just walk and walk and walk and walk. And I was so... Um, just completely taken by the parade of people and the food and the sounds and the smells, you know, it was all, it was all just a lot to take in, but it felt like home right away. It's time to end my lonely holiday and bid the country a hasty farewell. So, on this gray and melancholy day, I'll move to a Manhattan hotel. I'll dispose of my rose-colored shadows and prepare for my share of adventures and battles here. On the 27th floor Looking down on the city I hate and adore Autumn in New York Why does it seem so
often mingled with pain. Dreamers with empty hands may sigh for exotic lands. It's autumn in New York. It's good to live in. And I love how somebody bought a book for you. I love that story. <laughs> yeah. Tell that story. So I had just decided to move here, and um, I had come out to visit. I, I had one friend. I knew one person that I'd grown up with in Alaska who had moved to New York. And I came out to visit my friend and to sort of scope things out, think about where I might want to live. And uh, this was in the winter time, so it was probably December, and I knew that I was moving at the end of March. And um, and I was kind of doing the same thing, walking around, taking in the city, and I went into um, Magnolia Bakery in the village, and I was waiting for a cupcake, as one did at that time anyway. I, I, I think I'm past the waiting on a line for a cupcake I don't stage know. of my life now. <laughs> there were moments when there, we'll yeah. wait for a cupcake. It's true, it's true. <laughs> but so I was, I was standing there, and, and this, this guy at at an adjacent table, we just sort of kept making eye contact, not in a lascivious way, but just it's a small space. And, you know, we kind of just started sort of laughing at sharing this shared moment of like the absurdity of, you know, this massive crowd of people in this tiny little bakery for cupcakes. And, um, and we started chatting and he was a journalism student at Columbia getting a, a graduate degree. And, in our in our little chat, he when I told him I was moving to the city, he said, "Oh well, you have to. I have to get something for you." And we walked across the street to a bookstore that I believe and I think is still there, and he bought me E. B. White's "Here Is New York," and it was so it was just such a charming, lovely gesture, and um, it, it just. It was one of those little serendipitous moments because he, you know, he wasn't a creepy guy. He just mm-hmm. he just gave me this lovely, completely appropriate little gift and wished me luck and went on his way. And, uh, and that book is still one of my favorite pieces of writing about anything, but certainly about New York City. And it's very short. It's very short. Yeah. And but it's he captures true. it all. Yeah. He wrote it in, I, I think, the summer of 1947 or 1948. Mm. And obviously, you know, the, the business names have changed. You know, some of the things are different, of course, but... But the spirit of the book is exactly the same. Mm. It's exactly the same. Where he talks about, you know, you go out to dinner and these weary sort of tourists are, you know, sitting in a restaurant kind of maybe a little beat up by the city. And the the whole, at the beginning where he talks about the gift of loneliness and the gift of privacy being these, these offerings that the city makes mm. to anyone who mm-hmm. lives here is, I mean, that sums the whole thing up as far as I'm concerned. I love to that you talk about this person talking to you, it's serendipitous, buying you this book, you're bringing to mind inspirational moments that can only happen in person with people, Mm. which I love to focus on in our age of supposedly being connected, (laughs) but being very disconnected. Because I just heard a piece on on something, NPR I was reading, I can't remember what it was, but it was talking about eventually we'll be making love to robots. And I thought, wow, how disconnected can we get? Yeah, 
Absolutely. So we're going to be texting people, but not really finishing reading mm-hmm. the text. We just call them back or not listening to the message. And then we're just going to skip over all of it and yeah. make love to a robot. Yeah. It all sounded terribly depressing to me. Yeah. So the, it sounds very romantic and wonderful and real mm-hmm. having this moment of inspiration with somebody that you happen to meet, which is one of the great things about New York. Definitely. That I think because you do have all these people together. Yes. Which is interesting because that's what these different tech companies do. Mm. They make environments for people to work together. So they'll be together having fun, eating, getting, you know, they get a massage after work, whatever, but they're all still stimulating each other. Right. Which for us is a wonderful metaphor for the way jazz works. Sure. Absolutely. With a group. Yeah. Which is a great way to lead into Duchess, your group, which I love because I I was telling you before we, we started taping that, of course, people send me lots of things. Sure. I get very few, I have to say, I don't even want to say 1%, vocal groups. So talk about Duchess because I love the recording and it must be fun having the three of you. I love the cover. You actually look happy. (laughs) Yeah. That's another thing, people. CD covers where people are happy. It hardly ever happens anymore. Well, right. But I mean, this music, you know, it started in brothels and dance halls and bars. And I mean, it's 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 good time music. And that's not to say that there's not a serious element and there are poignant elements and all of those things are are true. But but yeah, I mean, Duchess is about having a good time. We laugh our faces off in rehearsal and on stage. And it seems so far that the audiences that, that we share our music with also have a great time. And yeah, that that group has been um, a tremendous gift in mm. in the course of the past year and a half or so that we've not even we haven't even been together quite that long. But Amy Servini, who's a wonderful singer uh, here in New York City, is a dear old friend, and uh, she has had a residency at the Fifty Five Bar for some years now. And uh, for a long time, she was doing what she called duet nights. And she'd round up a bunch of different singer friends from wildly different areas of the the scene here in New York. And there would be this sort of wonderful round robin of her singing duets. She's a fearless singer. And, um, and so, and she and I were in a vocal group many years ago together. So we go back over 10 years. Um, and so I would be a part of these duet nights. And Melissa Stiliano, the other member of Duchess, um, has also done a lot of work with Amy. And she was a part of the duet nights. And Amy's husband, Oded Lavari, who's our producer and arranger, suggested one night when Amy was feeling a little bit just kind of over it. She says, she says in her own words that I get bored easily and I like to try new things. And, and yet the logistics of all these duet nights and coordinating a dozen different singers for one night of gigs, it's a lot. And so her husband said, well, why don't you get Hillary and Melissa together and, and sing some, you know, Andrew's sister's charts or something. And, uh, and so we did, we got together and we didn't really publicize the gig overly. I mean, it was so casual. It was really something we were just doing because it sounded like fun. We learned, you know, a handful of sort of stock charts, Boswell Sisters, Andrew Sisters, and a couple of like bad, you know, high school jazz choir kind of charts. We just found sort <laughs> just of for filler. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, yeah, to complete the picture. But no, I mean, it was, it was, and we put our own twist, you know, we found like a high school arrangement of, of lollipop and a cordettes. And, and we thought, well, how are we going to make this? not sound like a high school chart. And we thought, well, we have Matt Wilson on the gig, so let's make it a second line, you know? And, um, and the place was packed. The response was huge. We all had more fun than we'd had in who knows how long. And the, the project really just grew and took shape organically from there, which is the best way, you know? Nothing about it felt contrived or forced. I love the 
and north or south They're both the best But we'll only go there as a guest Cause we love being here with you I love the sea I love the shore I love the rocks And what is more With you there there'd never be a bore a breezy game Love all kinds of weather As long as we're together I love to hear you say my name I like good wine And fine cuisine And candlelight I like the scene vocalist Hilary Gardner with the vocal trio Duchess. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. I commented to Hilary that it must be fun to sing with other vocalists, and people don't seem to do it very often. It is, and I feel like we all most or many singers, we start singing with other people. I mean, so many of our early singing experiences are in a choral environment. And then as we progress in our career, you know, certain being a soloist is just that you're singing as a soloist, but it's so almost, there's, there's almost a primal element to joining voices. It is the first instrument. And so when, when you're singing with others, it's a very special thing. Well, talk about the great city. Mm. I'm so excited about this CD and you must be, this is your first solo project. It is my first solo project. Yeah. And it, it, it took me a while, you know, it, it, I've been around and singing and doing stuff here in, I've been in New York 12 years now. Um, and this is my first album, but I really, you know, earlier you mentioned um, that it was really important when you were a younger, when you first starting out that you wanted to really make sure you had something to say. That's really how I felt about this project. For my first, my first outing, you know, any album is a calling card of sorts, but your first one, I really feel like is an introduction. This is who I am. And I really, I identify first and foremost as being a New Yorker, which is sort of funny because I come from the sticks. I grew up in Alaska, but, but I didn't just want to, you know, make a CD of, you know, every song has New York in the title. And, you know, that, that felt a little too pat and a little too, 
you know. That was one of the reasons I really liked this because it had a story. I felt like the whole thing had a story. Thank you. Well, it was really important to me that the album have a narrative arc. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's a little abstract, you know, it's not a, a musical theater record that has this literal kind of narrative quality, but but it definitely has has an arc. And it was really important to me too that that the songs felt authentically um, mine. I mean, I didn't write any of the songs on the record, but there's a wide, it cuts a pretty wide swath. You know, I think the oldest song on the album is Vernon Duke's Autumn in New York. And the newest song on the record is Nellie Mackay's Manhattan Avenue, which is 21st century. And, um, you know, in between, we've got Joni Mitchell and Tom Waits and a Dan Hicks cover. And there's, and then some lesser known standards as well. And that all feels very, very personal. But it didn't feel totally honest to me to do a record of just standards. There's nothing wrong with that, and it's great, and I may do it in the future. But if the first album is really your introduction that says, this is who I am, this is where I'm coming from, this is what I'd like to offer you, it was really important to me that sort of all of these influences and um, all these different kinds of music were somehow represented. Like the folks you meet all Like to plant my feet on The Brooklyn Bridge What a lovely view From heaven looks at you From the Brooklyn The wind through her strings The song that she sings for the town I love to look up at the clouds in her hair She's learned to wear like a crown in our work people who have different talents because we've Mm. known great musicians who aren't great leaders Mm. because they don't put a good set together and you talk about all the thought you put into Mm. putting this CD together Mm. and making sure that it was authentic to you and I don't know why more people don't do that maybe they just don't take the time Mm. they don't think about how important that is but it always shows I think the listener hears it Mm. if it really connects to you don't you think definitely and and I think I think 
it's really easy as as a singer if you, if you love a lot of different kinds of, of music well as a mu- as any kind of whatever you play whatever you do in music to say well you know I like this song and I like that song oh I like this over here and you get this sort of peripatetic kind of meandering through stuff I like which is fine but I mean I love albums it was really important to me to make an album and um and I think maybe that's a piece of of this whole question too this idea that we live in you know, we live in the age of digital downloads where people are buying piecemeal song, a song here, a song there. But but there are still people who care about albums. <laughs> no, I think they do. And the whole story and yeah. being able, and this encourages that kind of listening, yeah. which is nice. Yeah. So people have that opportunity yeah. to listen to it straight through. Yeah. I listened to yeah. it straight through. Thank you. I, I Thank heard you, the Judy. story. <laughs> well, I mean, it was really what I found so interesting in, in this process, because this was the first time that I'd ever really done anything like this, but was that, you know, certainly these songs are, are stories unto themselves. Certainly. That's why I chose them. You know, they, they tell a story, they have meaning, but they take on different layers of meaning in relationship to the other songs around them. You know, in context, they become something else. And, and, you know, even the way songs are sequenced, um, my producer on the record is also my husband and, um, and he's, been a record producer for many years and done A&R for many years. And, you know, we really, we had a great time working together. I'll say that we're still married. So, you know, we're still married. <laughs> I'm glad to hear and, it. Yeah. And we had a really good time working together, but you know, we butted heads a couple of times when it came to the sequencing because he was coming at it. He's trained as an instrumentalist and, um, you know, initially he came at this, the order of songs from a point of view of just the musical flow. And my pendulum had swung too far to the other side where I was only concerned about the lyrical sort of arc. And then working together, we met in the middle and, and found something that I, I think has a nice musical trajectory, but also makes sense in terms of the lyrics. If ever you're restless and you're feeling the city is the place to go well I'll tell you one thing worth singing about if you come in be sure you can get back out the great cities play boys they're always around to help build your hopes out help drag you down they'll leave you with nothing worth singing about so now you're in and now you walk back out the great city cold cruel stone seven million people and each one stands in a whirlpool of east side cafes where love is a cocktail of beards and berets and blues are the main things you're drinking about so now you're in and now you walk back out Hilary Gardner on the title track of her CD, The Great City. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. 
I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. Our show is made possible in part with generous support from Steinway & Sons and from East Hampton Indoor Tennis, eight indoor and 20 outdoor courts in a quiet, beautiful park-like setting. Visit ehit.ws for more information. For a schedule of upcoming programs, visit our website at jazzinspired.com. You can download podcasts of Jazz Inspired free on iTunes and email us at info at jazzinspired.com or visit us on Facebook and Twitter at Stride Queen. To find out more about my CDs and where I'm touring and to sign up for our email newsletter, visit judycarmichael.com. Additional support is provided by Jazz Times Magazine, providing entertaining and provocative coverage of the jazz scene since 1970, on the web at jazztimes.com. I've written a new memoir called Swinger, A Jazz Girl's Adventures from Hollywood to Harlem. For more information on where you can find it or to order an autographed copy, visit judycarmichael.com. My guest is vocalist Hilary Gardner. Now, I love a quote about you, that you were the love child of Tom Waits and Peggy Lee. It's the nicest thing anyone's ever said about me. It's pretty fantastic. (laughs) It's pretty fantastic. So you have to talk about both those people. Mm. So Tom Waits, talk about dad. So I remember the first time I ever heard Tom Waits. And in fact, the artists that matter the most to me in terms of my influences and the people that whom I, I love the most, I generally can remember the moment that that they came into my Oh, that's interesting. I can too. Now yeah. that you now that you mentioned right, like, it, yeah, I can remember. You know, yep. Where were you when Kennedy was shot? Well, where where were you the first time you heard, you know, Ella Fitzgerald? Or, you know, it's kind right. of the same type of memory. Because mm-hmm. it's a life-changing event when you're a musician. But I was about 12 years old, and I was coming home from some, you know, after-school activity or, or another, I'm not sure. But it was evening, and I came home with my mother, and we walked in the house. And my father was, like, painting the basement or something. And he was listening to Tom Waits' Nighthawks at the Diner. And I had never heard it before, but it was just this immediate pull into this world that Tom Waits was creating. And when I got older and researched the album a little more, I I learned that he really was creating a world. I mean, they created a nightclub inside this recording studio just to make this record, but it was so evocative of all of these things that just seem so adult, you know, you know, cigarette smoke and, and a dark lounge and a jazz band playing in the corner and people who were maybe a little disillusioned, but still had a good sense of humor and all of these things that at 12, really, you probably shouldn't be so But it made you want to be an adult. It. Oh, I mean, I always <laughs> wanted to be an adult. I, I think this, yeah, I think the idea of childhood being the best part of your life is so absurd. I mean, and I had a lovely childhood. I did, no, you know, no, but, but still. But who I think wants it's to right. be a kid? I, I know. Mean, when, well, when you have all those other things waiting for you. Right. There you go. Yeah, exactly. What we're talking about is late night and early morning low clouds. What a chance of fall. Chance of showers into the afternoon. With variable high cloudiness and gusty winds. Gusty winds at times around that corner of sunset and Alvarado. Yeah, I know things are tough all over. When the thunderstorms start increasing over the southeast and south central portions of my apartment, I get upset. 
And a line of thunderstorms was developing in the early morning hours ahead of a slow-moving cold front. <laughs> cold blood. With, with tornado watches issued shortly before noon Sunday for the areas including the western region of my mental health and the northern portion of my ability to deal rationally with my disconcerted, precarious emotional situation. Cold out there. Colder than a ticket taker smile at the Ivar Theater on Saturday night. <laughs> Flash flood watches cover the southern portion of my disposition. Yeah. But there was no severe weather well into the afternoon except for kind of a lone gust wind in the bedroom. So talk about Peggy. Peggy Lee, I, I came to her music later. I mean, she was someone that I was kind of always peripherally aware of just because she's such a part of, I, I think, our cultural consciousness. I mean, that sort of femme fatale. And, um, but it was when I was living, I had just dropped out of college and I was living in Seattle. And there was a great used CD store not far from, from where I lived. And I would go and just sort of rifle through the different bins and, and pick CDs where I, I liked the cover. There was a song that I wanted to, to learn. And, um, and I, I got Live at the Basin Street East. And I just, I, I mean, well, I don't know that can, one can wear out a CD the way you can you feel to wear out a record. But I, I just fell in love with with her whole, you know, sort of mystique. I mean, there was something so presentational about her. You know, she wasn't just sitting on a bar stool with a microphone in her hand, sharing her soul with you. I mean, it was, she was a, she was her own creation. Um, I just actually finished James Gavin's new oh, biography. I was just going to recommend yeah. that, James Gavin's it's so book. It's fabulous. So, well, and it's funny because one of my first interviews was Skitch Henderson. Oh, wow. And he said, as an aside, mm -hmm. he said, Peggy Lee, who's, who's, it was something like he said, who seemed so casual, mm -hmm. but everything was produced within an inch of its yeah. life, which I didn't really understand until I read James Gavin's book. Right, right. <laughs> And you saw that everything was created. Mm -hmm. She took no chances on, on, any, on anything. No, and, and just what I am drawn to so much about her, too, is that... I mean, at least in my mind, I think there probably are some differing opinions on this, but I believe her absolutely to be a jazz singer. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, of course, there's always conjecture about mm. what is a jazz singer. Right. You know, but in reading this book and certainly in listening to her, you know, mm. she wasn't a high-flying, freewheeling improviser. She never scatted. She didn't do some of the things that we associate with jazz singing, and nor do I. But me neither. I agree. This, but you know, she has this incredible feel, and she was so smart about repertoire, and she knew exactly who she was, and she didn't compromise it. And uh, but but I loved, I loved the uh, the nightclub uh, the nightclub feel of that Basin Street East recording. Even though I mean, again, learning more about it, it you know, someone didn't just hit record in the nightclub. I mean, they, right, right, that right. record was a little more produced than that. Once I said goodbye To New York City Sweet city I said goodbye 
Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. I commented to my guest, vocalist Hilary Gardner, that I especially enjoy her version of You Came a Long Way from St. Louis. My first exposure to that song was from an Anita O'Day record called Ballad of the Sad Young Men that she did with the Gary McFarlane Orchestra. And um, and she does the verse. And unlike... I. I her version was the first one that I heard, so I didn't realize that that song most often is done as this kind of like fast sort of boogie-woogie kind of a, a feel. She did it in a little bit more of a slinky way, and Anita O'Day was so sort of sly and sardonic all the time, which is perfect for for this lyric. And um, and that was a song that just kind of suggested itself. I Projects tend to marinate in my brain for a long time. I mean, I don't really sit down and make a lot of lists or anything, but songs just sort of float up as, you know, try this one. And and that that song, while it's not, you know, explicitly about New York City, it definitely is about two sort of small town people recognizing one another 
in a bigger pond, as it were. And, uh, and knowing that, I mean, there is a slyness and a sort of, I see you, you can't fool me. And that didn't feel like boogie-woogie to me. Each of your wisecracks the columns have quoted is very amusing. But your press agent wrote it You dine with Mrs. Jones And breakfast with Miss Brown You're wined and you're dined As the toast of the town They all want to fuss over you Don't they, you Casanova, you you came a long way from St. Louis You climbed the ladder of success I've seen the town and country cars That were parked out in front Of your fancy address You came a long way from St. Louis You broke a lot of hearts between I met a gang of gloomy gals Who were doing alright Till you came on the scene You blew in from the Driving by the wayside Feeling I ain't gonna know You came a long way from St. Louis But baby, you still got a long way to go Baby, 
Talk about Joni Mitchell and what inspires you about Joni. Well, uh, my father gave me Court and Spark on cassette when I was uh, in my early teens. And, um, and I, like every teenage girl who has ever gotten a recording of Joni Mitchell's, felt sure that she was singing exactly my life and my drama. And I mean, that's, that's the trick. That's, uh, yeah. I mean, and she is somebody who kind of to what we were talking about a little bit earlier, she can take material that is intensely, sometimes literally autobiographical and make the listener feel as though she's singing their own story. I mean, it's, it's pretty astonishing. Love came to my door with a sleeping roll And a madman's soul He thought for sure I'd seen him Dancing up a river in the dark Looking for a woman to court And sidewalk for passing change when something strange happened glory train passed through him so he buried the coins he made in people's park and we're looking for a woman to court and spark it seemed like he read my mind he saw me Trusting him and still acting kind He saw how I worried Sometimes I worry sometimes All the guilty people, they said They've all seen the stain On their daily bread On their Christian names I Myself, I sacrificed my booze, and you could complete me. I'd complete you. His eyes were the color of the sand in the sea. Talk to me, you know, the more he reached me, but I couldn't let go of LA, city of the fallen angels. Now you write as well. I do. Talk about that and how that feeds your music, the music feeds the writing, mm. all of that. 
Well, I always have written. It's it's actually only been in recent years that I've started to connect music and writing at all. But I always I always did write. You know, growing up, I I would write stories. I I wrote you know little character sketches. I mean, I, I always I always wrote. But um, it was in my you know in my adulthood when I'd been out of school actually, and I no longer had to write things that I I started wanting to write again. And uh, as one does in this digital age, I started a blog. That um, I think I started this blog in 2009. It's called Adalta Voce, which means out loud in Italian. Um, but I started it just to start flexing some writing chops again to see if it was something that I, I enjoyed. And it was very meandering. Nothing, there was no focus at all to the blog. And it's still not the most focused thing in the world. But um, I would write about whatever whatever was on my mind, a funny thing that happened on the subway or a restaurant that I really liked, you know, all these different things. Um, and then in in recent years, I've started to, uh, I write, you know, profiles of singers. I, I interview singers that I love and uh, and I write about, you know, the creative experience and Blah blah blah. But uh, no, but it's great. <laughs> but it, I, I read something about. Now I'm not going to quote this exactly, but something about people who write about their experiences. They were doing a psychological test, mm. and how it brought people not just out of depression, but just made them feel better when they wrote about the experience, mm. and they were finding that it connected to something in their brain wow. that explained to them. Mm-hmm. what had gone on, not mm. necessarily recreating what happened, sure. but what we all do if we're, as you said, yeah. before we started taping, you were saying keeping a good attitude yeah. is a choice. Right, right. And I always say that too, that you can choose to be bitter, you can choose not to be bitter, you can yeah. just go forward. And doesn't mean that you don't get unhappy, you don't have these things. But you say it's meandering, but... I think that just writing about these experiences is is a therapeutic thing. Well, absolutely. And and you make a very good point in that, I mean, one of the perhaps unconscious results mm. of, of writing about things, it helps me to, you know, synthesize an emotional experience and connect it to some sort of greater mm-hmm. meaning or, or, you know, sometimes I love this Gertrude Stein quote, which I'm also going to just sort of paraphrase, but it's something to the effect of, there is no answer. There ain't never been an answer. There ain't never going to be an answer. <laughs> That's the answer. You know, so if we start that. there, you mm. know, that it's all, we're all just kind of floundering out here and maybe there's really no point to any of it, mm. then I think that's actually far from being a depressing outlook for me that, that it frees us up then to, to make connections and to, to understand our own experiences, you know, relative to the world and the people around us in a deeper way. And I definitely think writing helps me to do that. Mm. But I do, I, I have started, you know, writing profiles of singers that I, that I like that I wish would get more attention or, you know, writing about plays or concerts that I've seen. And, and in, in addition to just being sort of my own personal, sort of online record of, of mm-hmm, life as it's mm-hmm. unfolding. I, you know, in my little tiny digital corner of the world, I, I like to try to shine a spotlight on, you know, friends and artists that I respect. I think that's that great. Respect. Yeah. We were, we talk about that a bit on this show about how we keep the business going. Mm. And I'm, I'm constantly out in the world having people say, support jazz, support jazz. And I always say support good music. Amen. That's my thing. Yes, ma'am. But also, I think that you say you want to write about other singers. I love to to reinforce that. 
because I think it was interesting. I've only had one person in over 15 years of doing this give me, before we recorded, saying, I don't want to talk about something. Nobody else has done it. It's not a political show. I'm not going to ask about people's sex life. I'm not anything like that. I I was stunned. And it was Blossom Deary. Oh. And she sat down and she said, "I, I, I have to say something first. And I said, okay. And it wasn't on mic. She said, I don't want to talk about bad audiences. Wow. And it was really interesting. And I said, well, I wasn't going to, but okay. Uh-huh. And I realized, I mean, she's so much older than we, uh-huh. well, no longer with us, yeah. but a person who'd been at this a long time, yeah. who had probably heard everything about people complaining yeah. about bad yeah. audiences. Yeah. She wanted to talk about the music, yeah. positive things. Yeah. She loved the concept of this show that we were going to just yeah. have a discussion about uh-huh. music and creativity. But I love that she... Just in case, yeah, yeah. stop that because wow. I'm assuming, I inferred from that, that lots of people in lots of interviews have said, well, what do you do about cranks in the audience or right. hecklers? Or things? Right. She didn't even want to give it any airtime. Wow. Well, you know what's fascinating about that? I saw Blossom Deary several times when she would play at Danny Skylight, which is no longer, no longer here right, either. I saw her too, right. But one of my most vivid memories. I saw her a few times, and this was right after I moved to New York City. At one point at the end of of the show, I mean, this was a, a, you know, it was a small place. And the people that went out to hear Blossom Deary, you know, especially toward the end of her life, I mean, I think she was always kind of a, I don't love this term, but kind of a cult figure. I mean, even within jazz, you know, she had had a niche sort of following and and Mm. she occupied a space that was uniquely hers. Mm -hmm. So, the people that came out to hear her in this back room on this this club on Restaurant Row wanted to be there. They were hip to what Blossom Deary was all about. And at the end of her show, she said, you know, you've all been just such a wonderful audience. And, you know, we love to play for people who really get it. And it means so much to us. But it's what you're saying. She wasn't up there complaining about anything. She mm-hmm. was expressing positivity about what was what was going on. But that's that's interesting. I'm delighted because you brought me somebody that I've never heard of, Beverly Kenny. Mm. And I love her. Talk about her and how you discovered her. Um, I first heard Beverly Kenny on a compilation CD that I think Michael Cuscuna put together. And uh, it was, I believe, Capitol Records sings Gershwin. But, uh, you know, and it was all the heavy hitters, you know, Ella Fitzgerald and Nat King Cole. I mean, all of the biggies. And then this odd, marvelous version of It Ain't Necessarily So by this girl who's, you know, a very girlish voice, um, a very a light, you know, a very, very clear. Uh, yeah, a very, very young, you know, she just sounded like a young, light, girlish voice, but nothing about her interpretation was was naive or girlish. And the whole tune was her and bongo accompaniment doing Ain't Necessarily So. So it was very sort of 1950s beatnik. And and that was the first time that I ever heard her. And it was just part of this this compilation. And, and that was sort of that. Fast forward, um, one of my first, one of my first steady gigs ever, I was about 21, 22 years old. And I was staying at this little cafe in Seattle and a friend of a friend was visiting from New York, an older gentleman who just passed away last year. But he, he came and I decided to sing the verse to the more I see you acapella. And I just sang it a little different that night. I don't know why, but he called me over after and he said, do you know who Beverly Kenny is? 
I said, well, actually, yes, I do. I have her on this CD. And, and he was very happy to know that, that I knew who she was. And he said, well, you just sounded just like her. Oh, buttermilk sky. I'm keeping my eye peeled on you. What's the good word tonight? Are you going to be mellow tonight? Oh, buttermilk sky. Can't you see my little donkey and me? We're as happy as a Christmas tree Heading for the one I love He's gonna pop me the question That question Do you, darling, do you do? It'll be easy, so easy If I can only bank on you Oh, buttermilk sky I'm telling you why So now you know Keep it in mind tonight Keep a brushing those clouds from sight Oh, buttermilk sky Don't you fail me when I'm leading you Must hang a moon above my kitchen post Hitch me to the one I love You can if you try Don't tell me no lie Will you be mellow and bright tonight? Oh, buttermilk sky Pop me the question, that question Do you, darling, do you do? It'll be easy, so very easy If I could only bank on you Oh, buttermilk sky I'm telling you why, so now you know Keep it in mind tonight Keep it brushing those clouds from sight Oh, buttermilk sky Please don't fail me when I'm making you Hitch me to the one I love You can if you try Don't tell me no lie Would you be mellow and bright tonight But it looks I'm so pleased we could do this and that we finally met. Indeed. Thank you so much. I love the CD. I love the cover. Very sexy cover. Thank We're you on very radio, much. so I get to, de- to <laughs> describe it. It's got the great city in the background, and uh, you're looking really nice. Why, thank you. Really nice. Thank no, you. it's great. It's a wonderful CD, and Duchess as well. And thank you so much. I look forward to it. I, one of the great things about this show is I've told friends of mine that people that I want to meet, mm. it's like I get to set up my own blind date and spend an <laughs> hour with them, and I feel like I have a new friend. This was so much fun, Me and too. I'm a big thank fan, you. so thank you thank very, you. very much. Thanks so much. You've been listening to vocalist Hilary Gardner. I hope you'll join me here next time when I talk with another creative person about how jazz has inspired their life and work. I'm Judy Carmichael, the host and producer of Jazz Inspired. My production engineer is Curtis Heidolf. You can download podcasts of Jazz Inspired from iTunes or at TalkShoe.com. Our opening music was Airmail Special, and the mid-break music is a smooth one, from my CD, High on Fats and Other Stuff. 
The closing music is Old Fashioned Love from my CD trio. I'm on piano with my Cashmon sax and Chris Morey on guitar. Judy Carmichael's Jazz Inspired is made possible with generous support from our listeners and from Steinway and Sons and from Sag Harbor Florist. Visit sagharborflorist.net. For a schedule of upcoming programs, to sign up for our email newsletter, or to find out how you can personally support Jazz Inspired, visit our website at jazzinspired.com. You can email us at info at jazzinspired.com or visit us on Facebook and Twitter. I've written a new memoir called Swinger, A Jazz Girl's Adventures from Hollywood to Harlem. For more information on where you can find it or to order an autographed copy, visit judycarmichael.com. I'll be appearing with my quintet March 24th at Patchog Theater on Long Island and March 27th and 28th at Dizzy's Club at Jazz at Lincoln Center in New York City and at Highfield Hall and Gardens in Falmouth, Massachusetts, April 15th. For more information on my shows and new memoir, visit jazzinspired.com and judycarmichael.com.